Good morning. How many guys are excited to learn more about Hebrews this morning? Um, as, we've, as I said, we're in the middle of this series entitled Shadows, and it is really looking at the relationship of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant to the New Testament or the New Covenant. It's looking at where we look, we can reflect back on what happened in the Old Testament established by God, this relationship between the people of Israel and Him that was rooted in, in the, um, in the sacri- sacrificial system, was rooted in, in the law, and how it was meant to point to or be a foreshadowing of the New Testament, the covenant that came, as Jesus Christ said, this new covenant in my blood. That there is something new about God, what God has been doing in Jesus Christ that we are a part of, and we can see the superiority of the work of Christ. This is what Hebrews has shown us. And so as I said last week, we were continuing in the conversation as it related to chapter 11 that dealt with the faith of those in the Old Testament, their faith pointing completely to the work of Jesus Christ. That even as they were engaged, Hebrews tells us, even as they were engaged in the Old Covenant, their understanding was about the new covenant that was to come, the promised Messiah that laid ahead. And so even their faith was rested in the hope of Jesus Christ. And so we go through the chapter 11 and we see the faith of these individuals who had put their faith in the work of God through Jesus Christ. Now as we come out of that, as we move out of chapter 11 into verse 12, we begin to see a challenge laid out before us in reflection of the declaration of the faith of God that we have. So pick this up with me, starting already in chapter 11, verse 39, as we work into chapter 12. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you guys pray with me as we ask God's blessing on his word? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to come and reflect on the word of God. That opportunity is such that it, that it enlivens our spirit and our soul by the work of the Holy Spirit through these words. I pray that each one of us, no matter where we're at in our faith, we would lay our lives bare before your word and be changed by it. Not because of the one who delivers it, but in spite of him. Father, may your word bear fruit in our hearts this morning. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. How many of you guys have noticed that living the Christian life uh, can be hard? I mean, and when I say this, I mean really living the Christian life, a life that, that is Christ-reflecting, a life that, that is holy, that is gracious, that is, that is generous, a life that is, that is disciplined and engaged and, and sacrificial, a Christian life that, that is lived in, in fellowship, that is lived in community, a Christian life that is lived with a depth of commitment. I'm talking about that Christian life. How many of you guys have noticed that's not easy? In fact, I go as far as to say, it's kind of hard. I, I'm not talking about 
a marginal Christian life. A, a, a marginal Christian lives, lives are, are actually really easy. How many of you guys have ever been in that place? That marginal Christian life is actually pretty easy. See, a marginal Christian life is not that much different than a secular life. It, it, it's, just, it's just got a little bit more tailored Jesus to it. And what I, what I mean by that is, is we tailor Jesus to fit really comfortably. See, that Christian life is a Christian life that a lot of Christians live. How many of you guys have noticed that? And actually, that Christian life isn't that hard. But the Christian life I'm talking about is, 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 the, is the Christian life that we are really called to. I'm talking about that, that, that life that, that, that is a standout Christian life, that, that life that seems weird, that Christian life that has different priorities. Have you noticed that that's difficult? That that's harder? When it gets hard, do, do you ever think, is it really supposed to be like this, God? Do you, ever, do, you ever, do you ever think, God, isn't the Christian life supposed to be better? Isn't Christian life supposed to be easier? Isn't the Christian life supposed to make me happier? You ever been there? When you really get into the heart of it, when you really get into the difficulty of it, when you really get into the struggle of it, have you ever sat and thought, this doesn't seem right? God, I, I, thought, I thought this life was supposed to be easier. I thought, I thought you were supposed to make me happier. I thought you were going to break everything in front of me and you were going to bless me abundantly. Have you ever thought that? I think a lot of people think that. And I think it's why a lot of people live marginal Christian lives. Because they, they aren't convinced that being a Christian is hard. And that really it should be. It should be hard. It, it's different. It, it works against what we see in the world and the culture around us. It works against the temptations that are all around us. It works against our very nature that desires to seek after sin. In fact, when I read my Bible, it sounds like it's not supposed to be easy. At least that's what I think Paul thought. As he approached the end of his life, and I want you guys to think on this. Here's Paul. He's, he's lived his entire life. He's had this opportunity now, knowing that his life may come to an end soon. He's, he's in prison. He's facing martyrdom. And he writes back to somebody who was very dear to him, somebody who was very precious to him, somebody that he had raised up in the faith, that had walked with him, that had been faithful to him, this person who was like a son to him in, 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 this, in, the, in the faith. And as he looks back and he reflects on his life, this is what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. How many of you guys think that a fight indicates something easy? How many of you guys think that a race indicates something that is easy? How many of you guys think that if you got up right now and ran out those doors and started a marathon, that would be easy? Right? The implication that he has, the implication that he says, is that this life I've lived has been a fight, it's been a race. And what he says here is really consistent with what he says throughout all the things that I've read in his, in, in his epistles. 
In fact, when I read his epistles, it seems to me that what he says is, all my life has been like a fight and like a race. It's been about keeping faith. It has been a struggle. It's been about trusting God's promises and walking by faith in the Son of God. It's been about being anxious for nothing. And it has been like a war all of my life, day and night, by every means, graciously given to me by God. I have fought the good fight. I have run the race of perseverance. This is the continual message of Paul about his life, about his faith. And unless you guys think that Paul's idea was, well, that was his life, his life was tough, his life had this special challenge to it. I want you guys to hear what Paul seems to think our life should be like. Before Paul died, he made clear that that this view of his own life was his view of the Christian life everybody is called to. Because in 1 Timothy 6, he says, and instructs Timothy, who he loves so dearly, to fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. In fact, I want you to hear the full context of what he says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you, were, you made the good confession in the presence of many disciples, of many witnesses. These are the words of action for, dis, dis, for disciples, aren't they? This isn't, this isn't, this isn't just coasting along. The, the words here are, are ones of, of discipline and, and words of discomfort and even war. Flee, pursue. Paul's not talking about marginal Christianity here. Paul simply does not recognize a Christianity that is not about running a race, that is not about fighting a fight. Now, why do I bring this up? As we've been walking through the book of Hebrews, why do I bring this up? The reason I bring this up is because if you, if you look at what we just read, if you look at our passage this morning, it seems to be the same view that the author of the letter to the Hebrews has. That his same understanding is that we are in a race. That the life we have is one that is intense, is one that is a challenge, is one that is difficult. The main point of this morning's text is the imperative, let us run the race set before us. I think this is a challenge that is really important for us to to reflect on. If this is the call, if if this race, if this fight is the call of every Christian, what do you do when your Christianity is marginal? If the call of Christianity is to run the race, is to fight the fight, is to face the difficulties, is to face the hard times, is to live in a place that isn't comfortable, how do you respond 
when you are comfortable? How do you respond when you have a Christian faith that is coasting, that is stale, that is soft, that is boring? Have you guys ever been in that place? Are you guys there this morning? If the call is to the fight, if the call is to the race, if the call is to the uncomfortable, how do we get back in it? When all we've done has been coasting thus far. It's interesting to me because it seems like the admonishment we just read was to a church in the Hebrews that to some degree was in that same place. So in other words, what I'm saying to you is, if you're here this morning and you realize that you've been living a Christian life that has been coasting, that has been comfortable, that you haven't been in the fight, that you haven't been in the race, that you've tried to tailor your Christianity to, to a life that is, that is really easy, what he says in Hebrews might be good for you. Because I really think that, that the author of Hebrews saw his audience being in that place. Look at it. In Hebrews chapter 2, the, the author encourages them with this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Think about this. He's talking to the Hebrews and he says, guys, the attention you're paying right now is not enough. You need to pay much closer attention. And then he tells them, not to neglect such a great salvation that they've been given. And in chapter 5 he says, though by the time you ought to be though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. Where does it seem that, the, that, that, that this audience is at right now? Listen guys, you need to pay you need to pay much greater attention to this than what you are. Listen, guys, you need, to, you need to cherish the salvation you have. Listen, guys, you should be further along than you are today. Anybody feeling like you identify with what he's saying? And then just before what we just read in chapter 10, he, he tells them to recall their former enlightenment and to not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He's challenging them, and he's challenging us this morning with this declaration. And that's what leads up to what we just read in chapter 12. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I point this out because the state of the church being addressed in Hebrews is not unlike the status that many of us find ourselves in. And if you're not there now, my guess is at some time you'll be there. All of us struggle. All of us struggle to continue in the fight. All of us struggle at times to continue into, into the race. So many of us want to have this tailored Christianity that is comfortable and simple. 
that looks at the secularism around us, and we kind of weave our Christianity into that so that everybody around us accepts us, everybody around us is, is comfortable with us. We can kind of say, see, we're not that different. And in that, we create this Christianity that is comfortable. All of us struggle at times to continue to fight, to run the race. We are all at times challenged and tempted to coast along, to find a comfortable spot somewhere between secularism and Christianity. And if we do not figure out the means of staying on course, if we do not figure out the way to enter into the fight again, what we end up doing is we limp along, impotent in our faith. And we lose out on so many opportunities to see God do the remarkable and the incredible in our lives. Your faith grows stale. It grows cold. It grows very average. Because you're not continuing in the race and you're not continuing in the fight. And so it is a challenge that is laid before us to say, how do I get back in? How do I engage the way I'm supposed to engage? The truth is, it is too easy for us to get lazy in our spiritual development, to get, to get, get careless in our spiritual vigilance. It is too easy for us to quench the Spirit of God through passionless, dutiful religiosity. How many of you guys have been there? Guys, he has for us so much more than that. He desires so much more for us than that. He wants you to be alive and he wants you to be awakened. He wants you to be strengthened into the fight and into the race. What I love about this passage is that he lays out the groundwork that serves to enliven the Hebrew Christian he's writing to, and he, and, he, and he lays out the pattern for us that can get us to the pathway of the fight, that can get us to the pathway to the race. The, the words of Hebrews 12 gives us the exercises of faith that serve to reconcile us to the pathway of God's working in our lives. As we're, as we're in this place, I want you to realize we're in the same place that the, he, that, the, that the author was writing to, to the people he was writing to. And he lays out a pathway for us to get to where we need to get to. Now, if you've been here any, any period of time, you know I'm not the kind of preacher that likes to, to do the three steps to a successful life. Four steps to happiness in the home. But what's interesting about this is this. I think the, he the author of Hebrews actually gives us three steps to maintain the vibrancy of faith that will transform our lives and will transform our church. And what's interesting about these is I believe they're organized in an ascending, in an ascending manner. In other words, that they go from, from level of importance to greater importance to even greater importance. That as we capture what the author of Hebrews says, as we walk down those three steps of the pathway when we're struggling in our faith, we will find ourselves in this place of vibrancy. We will find ourselves in this place of enduring faith. And the first step that he lays out is this. 
It is that we find inspiration in the faithful. How does he begin it? How does he begin chapter 12? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us. The call to action, the call to let us, the call to what comes next is preceded by a reflection on the faithful. This this statement is a, it, it refers back to what we just read. And what did we just read? It was a faith chapter, right? All of of chapter 11 was about all of these people who lived by faith. His statement here is the great cloud of witnesses that he's talking about are the great men and women of faith. He's referring to, to Abel and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, to Isaac and Jacob, Moses and Joshua and Rahab. He refers back to Samson and David. He goes through this this long line of Old Testament men and women who through their faith in God set an example by which we might follow. Right? This is what he's saying. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us. Since we can look at those who have gone before us who lived in great faith, let us. Since we can look at their lives and realize what it is to walk in faith, let us move, let us act, let us move forward. This is the declaration, right? And I want to take this opportunity to remind you of the testimonies that immediately precede what we have just read. I want you to hear the powerful testimony written by the author of Hebrews of those who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You want to talk about a hard life? Right? You want to talk about living a Christian life, a life faithful to God that's hard and difficult? And this is who he says is the cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. These are the cloud of witnesses that watch as we run this race in pursuit of God's calling. The author of Hebrews refers back to this crowd that is pressing alongside the track, and he is imploring his audience to run that great race. Why? Why does he refer us back to this cloud of witnesses? Why does he refer us back to those that that he names in the faith chapter? Because he wants us to see their finish and follow after them. You see, it's not so much to say that we are they are watching us but to say that they are near enough for us to watch them while we run. It is that we might look into the crowd and say of each of them, 
through different circumstances. They finished the race, and I can too. They faced their circumstances and finished the race in Christ. I can too. That with each step we take, we can say, it can be done. John Piper describes this passage in these terms. We look and we see examples of faith and perseverance under every imaginable circumstance. There's David who committed adultery and murder, and he finished. There's John the Baptist who had a weird personality, and he finished. There's John Mark the quitter, and he finished. And Mary the prostitute, and she finished. And William Carey the plotter, and he finished. And Jonathan Edwards who got kicked out of his church, and he finished. And Job who suffered so much, and he finished. And Stephen who was hated and stoned, and he finished. You see, when we look at the lives of those who went before us, we can make the declaration, I can do it too. There is no circumstance you find yourself in. There is no sin that you've committed. There is no no issue that you're wrestling with that those before you haven't wrestled with and haven't finished. The faith in God carries us. Faith in God brings us along. It doesn't matter how difficult it gets. God is faithful when we are faithful. The author of Hebrews turns the gaze of his audience through the ages up to that very moment to look at the faith of those before him. And what's interesting about this is he walks them all the way through. We see all of those different names named there and they're, and, and they're, um, they're well-known names from the Old Testament. But he doesn't just point back to the Old Testament stories. He's making references, if you remember from last week, to these guys who were enduring these things during the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But there were people who were continuing to be faithful even in the midst of persecutions. And he's turning your attention even to those in the New Testament and what would be contemporaries to him. Saying even around us, guys, we've endured this and we've stayed faithful. This is the reality of our own lives. This is the reality of our own existence. Do you look around and see those who have continued on? I can tell you this. This is so deeply set in my own faith. I I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I have received inspiration in my life by thinking of Pastor Sam Peterson. Pastor Sam was my pastor. My parents came to the Lord when I was seven years of age. That's the church we went to. And he loved Jesus with everything that was in him. And he loved people like no one I've ever known. I can't tell you the number of times that I've prayed the prayer, God, if I can just love your people half as much as Sam loved your people, I'll know I'll be doing what you've called me to do. I think back on the day that, that, I, that I got the news that he had died because his heart had given out before he was 60 years of age. I was in Bible college, and I just sat on a bench in the park, and I wept. And I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, give me the strength to step in and take his place, to pastor people well. One of the reasons I'm here today, because I look at his life, and I realize he continued the fight. He finished the race. 
No matter what it was he faced, whether it was in the physical or whether it was, was in the spiritual, whether it was in the relational, he was a pastor who through the midst of it all sought to love people well. I can honestly tell you, even in my experiences here at Mercy Hill with those who've been a part of our church, this is a, re- this is a reality. There are Sundays upon Sundays where I stand in this place and I look to my right and I look at the chairs right over here. There was a man who used to attend our church by the name of Frank Salai. Some of you guys knew Frank. There are times when I would stand here and I'll look at those chairs and I'll think of Frank and his faithfulness to God. There wasn't a time when I, I I don't know there was a time when he was here on a Sunday that when I would walk off the stage that way that he wouldn't stop me. And he wouldn't talk to me about the message that I just preached. And the wonderful thing about Frank was Frank was, not, Frank was far from perfect. And he would share that with me. And I was struggling in his faith and I was dealing with this issue and that issue. But it always came back to his great love for Jesus Christ. Frank finished the race well. And to this day it inspires me. I have the same feeling every, every Sunday morning when I get up here and I look back into that corner. See, back in that corner is where my dad used to sit when we first started Mercy Hill Church up in the second floor. He'd roll in in his wheelchair and he'd sit right there every single Sunday. And I would look at him and I would see the faith of God that sustained him through the most difficult periods of his life. I have not suffered in my life one-tenth of what he suffered. And through his suffering, he did not lose his faith, but his faith grew in Jesus Christ. He finished his faith well. And it inspires me every day of my life. Most of you know I lost mom three months ago. And most of you walked with her in the midst of her cancer battle. And most of you know that she never lost her faith. But she saw her struggle. She saw her situation as an opportunity to honor God and reflect the faith in God that she had so that others might grow in Him. She finished her faith. Well, I'm telling you this morning, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you've been in. I don't care what's happening in your life. There are those who have gone before you and they finished well, and you can too. Set your faith in Him and finish the race. The second step to finding enduring, vibrant faith is by practicing the discipline of a disciple. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. After looking into the cloud of witnesses that have endured, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You guys realize that the race requires discipline. And I stated the second point the way I did intentionally, and I did it because I want you guys, I, I, I want you guys to remember that the words disciple and discipline share a common root, don't they? The unfortunate thing is many of us as Christians, we, we want to be disciples, but we don't want to practice discipline. 
There's many of us who want to be marathon runners, but we don't want to discipline ourselves to actually run the marathon. Right? There are so many of us who, who really want to be skinny and, 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 and look good, but we don't want to discipline ourselves to put down the cake. Right? It's probably not fair a couple days after Thanksgiving to bring that up. But the reality is, if we desire to be a disciple, we have to practice discipline. Most of us like, us like to be disciples without practicing discipline. And, and honestly, honestly, one of the most frustrating parts of being a pastor or being a counselor in the church is the number of times people come to you and they ask you for advice and they ask you for direction, they ask you for steps to get healthier, and they don't do it. And then they come back two weeks later for your next appointment, and they've got the same problem. And you say, well, did you do what I told you to do? No. Okay. Well, why don't we do what I'm telling you to do and see how that goes? And they'll come back in two weeks, and I'll say, how are things terrible? Well. Did you do what I told you to do? No. Well, how about you do what I told you to do? You guys understand the pattern? Right? So many of you guys want to be disciples, but you don't want to discipline yourself. Phil, am I right about this? Yeah. Phil does all of our counseling here. He knows what I'm talking about. And understand something. It's not me. I don't, I don't care. I get paid the same whether you do it or you don't do it. What's frustrating about it is I look into your own lives and I go, gosh, you could be changed. God could do so much in you if you would just learn that part of being a disciple is disciplining yourself and doing what he calls you to do. To not just simply engage in whatever you want to do. Are you running the race or are you coasting? And the reality is you can get back into the race this morning by throwing off the weights and sins that easily beset you. This means getting things out of your life that make you more worldly-minded. It means praying without ceasing. It means hiding God's word in your heart. It means meditating on it day and night. It means exhorting one another every day. It means taking up your cross daily, reckoning yourself to, to be dead in your sin putting to death the deeds of the body, plucking out the eye of lust, fleeing fornication, yielding your members as instruments of righteousness, presenting your bodies as living sacrifices, putting on the armor of God, resisting the devil, and taking every thought captive so that you might obey Christ. You understand what I'm saying? The word of God lays out for us the disciplines of a disciple. And when you don't do those things, is it any wonder you're struggling? Listen, if you keep falling again and again into the same pits, you need to change your path. You need to take steps. Don't tell me you're serious about your Christian faith if you don't do the things to change the dynamic that is weighing you down. Set aside all of the sin and weight that clings to you, it says. Many of you guys are frustrated. You, you feel like you're falling behind. 
You feel like you can't catch your breath. You feel like you're struggling. Well, there's a reason for that, according to Hebrews. Listen, I was a soccer player. Okay, I started playing soccer when I was 10 years of age. I played all through, I played all through junior high. I played all through high school. I played all, all through college. And, and, and I'll tell you, the vast majority of you in this room, 25 years ago, I'll beat you in a foot race. There's a few of you who could beat me, but there are not a lot of you. I wasn't the fastest guy on my team, but I was one of the fastest guys on my team. And, I, and I'll tell you, the vast majority of you in this room, I take you out on a soccer field 20 years ago, and I'll kick your tail all over the field. If we go out this afternoon, I don't have a prayer. I mean, I beat some of you because some of you are worse off than I am. But I'm not the same guy. You know why? Because there is some weight that is easily besetting me. As King James says. You see, I got about an extra about 25 pounds on me than what I did when I played, when I played college soccer. And if I go out there and run around, you know what's going to happen? My, it's gonna, my, my, my chest is going to be pounding hard. I'm going to be breathing heavy. I'll be able to take a few steps, and I might be able to walk through the game. Right? Well, you've got some pounds on you too. I mean that spiritually, not physically. Don't take that person. You've got some pounds on you as you're walking in this faith. And he's saying, listen, guys, the reason, you're, the reason you're sucking wind, the reason why you're struggling, the reason why you're frustrated, the reason why everything else is going past you is because you have this weight on you and it is easily besetting you. The great danger of every believer is that we begin to coast instead of run and fiddle instead of fight. The author of Hebrews is telling you that we have to set aside the weights that is holding us down. If you cling to it, it will cling to you and it will weigh you down. And I want you guys to understand something. I want you guys to hear something. This isn't legalism. You see, legalism is the idea that I tell you that you can't be a Christian if you don't do this and don't do that. It is me putting on you um, a, a, a standard of Christianity that is not established in the Word of God. It is me saying to be a Christian, you have to do this, 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 and don't do that. These ideas and these items that are not found in the Word of God. This isn't what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian if you go to movies. I'm saying if you can't be a Christian going to movies, you need to stop going to movies. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian when you have the internet. I'm saying if you can't be a Christian when you have the internet, you need to get rid of the internet. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian dating that guy or dating that girl. I'm saying if you can't be a Christian when dating that guy or that girl, you need to get rid of that guy or that girl. If you are struggling and you refuse to take the steps of discipline required of a disciple, you will continue to struggle, and it's not Christianity's failure, and it's not the church's failure, and it's not God's failure. It's your failure to take the race and your fight serious enough to get rid of those things that are getting in your way. It 
Do you have the discipline of a disciple? Are you willing to set aside all that weight that is holding you down from running the race and fighting the fight? If not, it's no wonder. And finally, and most importantly, we find vibrant and living faith by setting our eyes on the image of the Savior. Yes, there's value in finding inspiration in the faithful. And yes, it's essential to practice the discipline of a disciple. But ultimately, we will only find a vibrant, living faith when we set our eyes on our Savior. I said earlier that these three steps are progressive in their importance. And ultimately, where this lands at is Jesus Christ. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, this is the heart of the gospel. You see, it's, it might be easy to hear the command, run the race, fight the fight, and conclude that obeying that command and finishing the race and making it to the, to the glory depends decisively on us, on who we are, and on, on what we do. But if you do that, it's a great mistake. We are responsible to obey, but the writer wants to encourage us to look to Jesus. And it is a totality of declaration, isn't it? He says, look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The King James says, the author and the finisher. Do you see the totality of the declaration of all that Jesus Christ is to our faith? He is the beginner, beginning and the end. He is the sustainer. He is all. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Do you grasp the totality of this title? This manifests itself throughout our Christian experience. He has given a foundation of our faith from start to finish. He pioneered our faith authored our faith by enduring the cross, by receiving the shame on our behalf, and he perfected it by rising from the dead and triumphantly sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the author and finisher. He is our redemption, the foundation of our faith. It, we are, it is complete because of Jesus Christ. Not because of you or me. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith in that he has given a perfect model from beginning to end for this earthly race. He served willingly. He lived wholly. He forgave completely. He loved sacrificially. He authored and completed the gospel life that we are called to. There is no greater hope. There is no greater inspiration. There is no greater pattern. There is no greater life than the life that Jesus Christ laid out from start to finish. 
He is our total inspiration. He is the path we follow. He is the gospel in which we rest everything on. And ultimately, as we look at running the race, fighting the good fight, He is the founder and finisher of our faith and that He is the giver and sustainer of our faith from start to finish. Listen, the call of the believer's life is not simply hard. It is impossible without the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in the very next chapter. May God equip you with everything good that you may do His will, will, working in you that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. So the God who began a good work in us is going to complete it through Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Guys, you can't think that finishing this race will be accomplished to your glory because it's dependent on your strength. We run in the strength that God supplies. And everything, that, and everything we have is for God's glory through Jesus Christ. You can't do this without Him. You can't accomplish this without Him. It is just in the work of Jesus Christ that this can be made complete. Look to Jesus. Take heart in your walk. Trust in Him. Lean on Him. Follow after Him. When you are struggling, drop to your knees and call upon the power of the Holy Spirit to renew in you the beauty of Christ. It is amazing where He tells us that we should look to Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher, that we should look to His cross and His work there. We should look to His triumph over death, hell, sin, and the grave. Because it is in Him that we will have life. In the words of Peter, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As stewards of God-varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. It is through Him that you will run the race. It is through Him that you will fight the fight. And it is through Him that you guys will finish it. This is His calling to us. If you're struggling today, there is a way to be strengthened in your fight. Know that there is nothing that you have endured that others have not endured and finished the race. Understand that you must set aside that which, which, which easily besets you and holds you back. But realize through it all Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus Christ is our strength. And Jesus Christ, as we yield to him, will give us victory over it all. Would you bow your heads with me?